appreciate you all coming to learn more from the Bible. Tonight our topic, as you can see, is what happened to right and wrong. We'll be studying about God's Ten Commandment Law. And this was very sobering for me as I prepared and studied for this night. I thought of all the pain and disappointments that I've experienced in my life when I was younger because I didn't live by God's Word and all the bad things that happened to me because other people didn't respect God's rules. Have you ever noticed that there are some laws that never change? Like the law of gravity, for example. No matter what happens with water, it always falls down. You will never see it go up like this picture here. The law of gravity will always be in effect. It will never change. The same could be said for the laws of nature and health. To stay healthy, we must eat foods that are wholesome and nutritious. We can't, for example, eat poison and expect to stay healthy and strong. God made these laws and they have never been canceled or taken away. But friend, you know that in many churches there's preached that God's Ten Commandment law has been done away with. They claim that it no longer applies to us. If this is true, then it's okay to murder, steal, or commit adultery. But is it okay to simply live as we please? I wonder tonight, could there be any connection between this teaching that God's law is void and the epidemic of violence and immorality that we see in the world today. Maybe this is why so few of us seem to know the difference between right and wrong. So tonight we'll ask ourselves the question, whatever happened to right and wrong? It's as if people decided to do things their own way. Some people simply want to do it as they please. They think they can be their own God. But friends, this cannot be right, and surely it's not God's way. How otherwise can you explain the epidemic of violence? It's as if society doesn't want any restrictions. And many reject God's law as a standard of morality, and they claim that right and wrong is only a matter of your own conscience. But friends, it appears that our society has lost its moral compass. Sad to say, many reject any authority beyond their own opinion. Now in Proverbs 28:26, Solomon warns us, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. So we cannot trust our own conscience. The Bible describes our source of problems when it says in Hosea 8:7, for they sowed the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. We've sowed the wind of glorified adultery and violence in TV and media and now we're reaping the whirlwind of immoral sexual behavior and violence and crime in the society. We have sowed the wind and we are now reaping the whirlwind. This lawlessness is leading some religious leaders to propose legislating morality. 
Did you know the book of Revelation predicts this very thing? But we should never forget the lessons of history. History reveals that when church and state unite, the rights of the minority are trampled upon. So we know that legislation is not the solution to the problem. The answer to this problem is not a revolution in society, but a revolution in our own heart. David describes the standard of righteousness in this way, Psalms 111, 7 and 8. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure, for they stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. You can see, friends, God's commands stand forever. They were not just given for an ancient generation. They were given for all men and women who wish to honor God and experience true happiness. Psalms 19.7 says the law of the Lord is perfect. Society has cast off God's law. It accepts individual opinion as supreme. And we can see that many reject moral restraints altogether. But God's law is a standard of moral righteousness. The principles of God's law are eternal. As the Bible said, it's only God's law that defines what's right and wrong. As for my opinion and your opinion, they're irrelevant. Friends, God thought the Ten Commandments were so important that he personally wrote them with his own finger. God's law is the basis of the heavenly government as well as the whole universe. This is why Satan hates God's law so much. Satan rejected God's authority and wanted his opinion to be the final authority. But this is at the very heart of heaven's rebellion. And of course you know that it's at the heart of the earth's rebellion as well. Satan led the rebellion in heaven by saying that it was not necessary to obey God. Then on earth, he used the same lies on Adam and Eve. In effect, he was saying, you can be your own God too. Your opinions can be a final authority. Adam and Eve lost their perfect home. They placed themselves above God and they broke their relationship when they disobeyed him. But some will say there was no law until Mount Sinai, for they say that the law was strictly for the Jews. But friends, this simply cannot be true. It was at Mount Sinai that God wrote the law on the tables of stone. But long before Sinai, it was wrong to kill or steal or to commit adultery. And here's one example of this. When Cain killed Abel, you read about that in Genesis? Was it a sin? Of course it was a sin. And this was long before the Ten Commandments were written down. The Bible says plainly in Romans 4.15, where there is no law, there is no transgression. And Webster's Dictionary defines transgression as the breaking or violation of any law, civil or moral. And the Bible says simply in 1 John 3, 4, sin is a transgression of the law.
So sin is breaking God's law and rejecting God's authority in our life. So if you claim that God's law didn't exist before Sinai, then it wouldn't be wrong for Cain to kill Abel. But God's law has always existed. Here's another example in Genesis 26, verse 5. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, it says plainly that Abraham was a commandment keeper. And he lived before Moses and before Mount Sinai. So we must conclude that God's law existed long before Mount Sinai. But some will say that the Ten Commandments were given only to the Jews. Again, I ask you, was it wrong for Cain to kill Abel? Yes, even though there was no Jews on the earth until the time of Abraham, it was still definitely a sin to kill. You see, in the Old Testament, God's law is the standard of right and wrong. The law says that certain things are wrong, regardless of your opinion or mine. It's wrong even if everybody is doing it. But what about the New Testament? Did Jesus say he was going to do away with God's law? Well, he said the opposite. In the New Testament, Jesus upheld the claims of the law in his own life. Jesus was our example. He put the commandments in human form to demonstrate them. Jesus said in Matthew 5:17 and 18, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. In Luke 16, verse 17, he said, It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of the pen to drop out of the law. Because you can see why Jesus said this, because God's law is eternal. And God's law is the basis for the government of heaven, tells us right from wrong. It was not dreamed up by any government or church or committee. But some will claim that when Jesus died, the law was nailed to the cross. But friends, how can that be true? Is it now okay to commit adultery, steal, or kill? I think you can see that it is totally illogical and incorrect to say that God's law was done away without the cross. Now here's a text that many will get confused on. Ephesians 2.15 says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances. So what exactly was nailed to the cross? The Ten Commandments? No. It says the law of commandments that are contained in ordinances. And you must know by now, as we've been teaching this week, that when Jesus died on the cross, the sacrificial system came to an end because it pointed to him. And this system ended when 
Jesus died. He was the true lamb, which all the other lambs typified. And Jesus lives to forgive our sins. And when he forgives our sins, he tells us, go and sin no more. You can see that Jesus always taught obedience and never disobedience. Jesus further promises us in 2 Corinthians 12:9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And this encourages me because I have weaknesses, but God's grace is sufficient even in our weakness. If you're struggling with temptation tonight, then go to Jesus. Give him your sins and they will be forgiven. Your guilt will be completely gone. Then by his grace, he will strengthen you to keep you from sinning. You see, grace not only forgives you, it empowers you. God's grace will change how you live from day to day. And it's certainly done that to me. Remember, Jesus always leads to obedience and never disobedience. This is what Jesus is saying to us tonight in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Tonight, some are saying they love Jesus so much that they don't have to obey him. But can that be God's way? Remember, God's love always leads to obedience. And Jesus said in John 15:10, If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That's how we abide in Christ, by following what he says. Now, some may be tempted to think that God's commandments are some sort of legalistic requirement. But 1 John 5.3 says, This is love for God, to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. God's law is not a heavy burden. It was given so that we might know true happiness. But you might say, didn't Jesus teach that all we need to do is love? Once a lawyer came to Jesus trying to trap him and he asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, Matthew 22, 37 and 38, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, he was summarizing the law in just two, four, two short phrases. You'll notice that the first four commandments teach us how to love God. And the last six teach us how to love our fellow man. They teach respect and love. And remember, love always leads to obedience, never to disobedience. Now, some of you might be getting a bit nervous and may be wondering if I'm teaching, are we saved by keeping the law? 
But no, never. When Jesus died on Calvary's cross, He offered you and me complete salvation as a gift. We can't do anything to earn. He provided to us for free. It says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Salvation comes as a gift from God. It is by His grace alone. Now some may be tempted to think that in the Old Testament we're saved by law, but in the New Testament we're saved by grace. The Bible has something to say about that. Genesis 6-8 is one example. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Then Paul says in Titus 2-11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Imagine this scene in heaven. Say you're having a visit with Moses, Daniel, and Paul. And let's imagine that you ask, Gentlemen, how did you get here? Will Moses and Daniel say, Well, we got here by keeping the law. But then Paul says, No, well, I got here by grace. I don't think so. <laughs> I think you can see there are not two methods of salvation. Those who are saved are saved by God's grace alone. You see, in the Old Testament, Moses, Daniel, and Job looked forward to the true sacrifice of Christ. But Paul and us, we look backward to the grace at the cross. That is a gift that saves all of us. I hope it is clear that nobody is saved by keeping the law. Friends, I keep the law because I am saved. I do not keep the law to earn God's love. I keep the law because He has given His love to me through Jesus Christ. God's grace always leads to obedience. And you'll see that grace never leads us to break God's law. In fact, the more we love Him, the more we want to serve and obey Him. Now some tonight may think that the Bible teaches we're no longer under the law. Now let's look at this passage very carefully and get our answer from the Bible. And we'll find out what it means to be under the law. So let's see if it teaches we're under the law. Romans 6, 14 and 15 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So the Bible says we're not under law, but does it say we can now break the law? No. What then shall we sin, because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. I think you can see the real question is, what does it actually mean to be under the law? To be under the law means to be under the law as a means of salvation. To be under the law means my works can save me. As a matter of fact, friends, to be under grace means just the opposite. It means that because I have broken God's law, I was condemned to death. For the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but to be under grace 
means that I come to Jesus and accept forgiveness and his plan for my life. Romans 3:19 and 20 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The Bible says that the law cannot justify us. It defines sin as breaking the law. In a sense, the law is like looking in a mirror. We look in a mirror, it tells us if we need to clean up. This is why the Bible says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. You see, that the law reveals to me what my sin is. When I see what my sin is, I go directly to Jesus. His grace pardons me, forgives me, cleanses me, and empowers me to live as Jesus desires me to. So you see, to be under grace means to accept God's grace as a means of salvation. And that is exactly how we are saved, friends, by God's grace alone. Then it is by faith that I accept Christ's death in place of my sins. Paul continues in Romans 3.31. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So the Bible teaches that we're completely saved by grace. This grace leads us to love Jesus and to keep his law. I hope everybody understands this tonight. You all know that you can be saved by grace through faith in Christ. Now the Bible warns in the last days that many false teachers would creep into Christ's church. 1 John 2.4 says, He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's pretty strong language for anybody that says, I know Christ, but I don't have to keep his commandments. You can see the Apostle John warns that this person is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And if you want to know the truth, don't allow yourself to be taught by people who tell you that God's law is done away with. You do as the Bible says. By God's grace, you keep the law of God as he intended for us to do. In his later years, the Apostle John was writing the book of Revelation from the Isle of Patmos. He wrote about God's people who were living at the end of the time of this earth. He wrote these words which we find in Revelation 12:17, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. And you will notice in Bible prophecy the woman represents a church, and her offspring is the final church. See how it continues? Who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This text tells us that in the last days, the devil is angry at the Christian church. 
He is angry with the people that keep the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus. So here is a group of people in the last days of earth history. They love Jesus and they don't conform to society. They don't do as they please, but as God instructs us. They don't follow the traditions of men, but they keep the law of God. They love Him and obey Him and serve Him. John is speaking about when Jesus comes again, when he says in Revelation 14:12, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So you can see how the Bible describes God's people in the last days. They love Jesus, have faith in Him, they're saved by His grace, and they are pleased to keep the commandments of God. In the last days, God will have a group of people who will say that God's love compels us to serve Him and obey Him. Friends, as sinners, we were condemned to die. But Jesus paid the death penalty on the cross of Calvary. We deserve death because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And at the cross, my salvation and yours was paid for in full and complete. At the cross, there's mercy, forgiveness, and grace. What Jesus has done prompts me to love and to serve him forever. That love always leads me to obey Him, to humbly serve Him in any way He might ask me to. So how will you respond to that love tonight? Jesus simply wants you to give Him your heart. He wants to be your friend and Savior and the Lord of your life. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your awesome character. And as we behold your law, we see love. You love us so much, you want us to know how we can live for you and trust you. So we are grateful, Lord, for this amazing grace 